Good evening, good morning, gearheads. Depending on where you are, we are excited. We have the Japanese Grand Prix coming up in about an hour. And we are excited. This is John Massengill. I'm sitting in the studio in Austin, Texas, and I'm joined by Bob Varsha over Zoom. And how are you, Mr. Varsha? I'm doing great, thank you. I'm a little hoarse. Forgive me. The, uh, I was working on the uh, eight hours at Indianapolis for the SRO Intercontinental uh, GT Challenge. I'm, I'm also completely shot up here. So anyway, <laughs> I'm ready for some Formula One. Uh, you are the hardest working man in motorsports, eight and a half hours on the air and then joining us. And we're also joined by Mr. Chris Medlin, zooming in at the last moment. How are you, Mr. Medlin? I'm very well. Standard uh, late arrival, wasn't it? Yeah. Normally that way at a race, and I can't even do it if I'm not on the ground. <laughs> uh, well, Bob's in uh, in Indy. Where are you? I'm in sunny London town. And by sunny, I mean it's pitch black, uh, as it is, I'm sure, with you guys. So it's uh, just hit 5 a.m. And, yeah, it's uh, a strange feeling because this is the one race I haven't travelled to this year. So um, covering it from afar for once, which, yeah, I'm, I'm just not used to. I've got I've got FOMO. <laughs> fear of missing out well uh we're excited to have you jonathan green is not joining us because he has to be uh, he texted me a while ago he's got to be at the track in virginia var at 7 a.m tomorrow morning so he's not joining us les kaiser's not here because he's out in california with his daughter but but we've got it we've got enough to do this show and we're excited about it because man it has been already pretty interesting qualifying was was interesting and there's been so much japan is so much fun and bob i know you've been there and and you too chris i'm assuming but what do you think of when you think of suzuka bob i think of what a wonderful country japan is with its culture its cleanliness its its security uh it's just a, a wonderful place to visit uh, the fans are very sophisticated but very polite because that's the Japanese way. They will wait quietly in line outside the gates for hours until the gates open, and then they quickly hurry inside. They're very appreciative of what the athletes are doing on the track. And this racetrack, Suzuka, is, is simply terrific. The only figure eight um, circuit in Formula One, difficult to pass on, but fast, exciting. And uh, it always produces uh, great races and it often produces surprises. And it's been known to clinch a world championship or two. Well, and of course, that is a very real possibility today with Max Verstappen. So we'll uh, we'll be talking about that and all the permutations with all of that. And and I'm glad you said it, Bob, about the culture, because as I was getting ready tonight, I was thinking that is one of the really wonderful things about Formula One about the culture that we get to see at everyone. I'm not going to all the races like you guys, but Chris, don't don't you agree that that is one of the the great things about F1 that we get exposed to all these different cultures? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and like Bob says, I mean, Japan's amazing. It's one of my favorite races. I've been lucky enough to go probably six, seven times now to the Grand Prix there. And it's just, it's like the closest thing to another planet on this planet, I find. Um, <laughs> just the way everything's structured, the way everything works. It still works and, and does just about make sense, but it, it does take getting a bit of your head around. Um, and I just absolutely adore going there. So, yeah, that's another reason why I've been missing it so much. But to have all of that around what is just an epic racetrack and an epic venue and 
there's so much passion around the sport there. Uh, it's, it's almost like they're very grateful that Formula One makes the effort to go to Japan and have a race. Um, it just kind of does make the whole event feel very, very special. And I'm with you guys. I love it when it's been a title decider. I love it when it's had that kind of, I don't know, don't know if it's jeopardy. Sometimes it was jeopardy. Sometimes it was, you know, just rubber stamping uh, a bit like today might be. But it just feels special when it's somewhere um, as iconic as Suzuka, um, more so to me than somewhere like Abu Dhabi. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the way that's all um, kind of all those ingredients mix up to make it such a, a special race. And uh, as you say, very different from even from Singapore, where I was last weekend, and very different again to uh, a little place called Austin, where we'll be next. <laughs> That's exciting to say that we'll be right here in my hometown in two weeks. Uh, but you know what? We've, I want to start. We've got a lot of clips that we can play today, and it, a lot of the drivers talk about how they love this track. But this first one is from the hometown driver, Yuki Sonoda, and I, I thought about this, Bob, when you said uh, uh, about the the cleanliness of the town. But let's hear what Yuki Tsunoda, he's he asked the question is, what recommendations do you have for for people visiting Japan? What are your recommendations? First place you should go is an airport toilet. I'm not kidding. It's the cleanest toilet you ever see. Cleanest, cleanest toilet in the airport you ever see in the world. And also, you see, you feel the temperature, nice warm toilet. That uh, you're gonna have nice welcome from first toilet. Uh, other than that, you should go food wherever you you go from the ramen or anywhere. I think it will be good. Good anywhere, everywhere, everywhere in the world. I think good, better than other restaurants. Yuki is a he is a a character, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. <clears throat> I um, I've I've been to Japan for a, a few times, um, and I would say that the the restrooms were not the highlight of my trip. <laughs> um, but maybe I was going to the wrong ones. I mean, maybe in the airport they're a bit nicer. But um, well, I mean, let's just talk about this. The the the, the average public toilet in Japan, as I recall was basically a hole in the floor with a nice porcelain structure around it, uh, including two pads at the bottom onto which you were to put your feet um, as you prepared to, to go about your business. Um, I don't remember being impressed with their cleanliness, but you know, as I say, maybe I just went to the wrong places. <laughs> I was gonna say now they're, um, they're these huge high-tech um, kind of all singing, all dancing ones. You get them in most of the hotel rooms too that I find. I'm surprised he, he pointed out it had to be at the airport and why you couldn't just wait till you got to your hotel room, but still. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can never understand what each button does, but there's, I don't know, 30 functions on this toilet seat uh, to spin it round or heat it up or wash it or whatever it wants to do. So um, it does seem like, I guess, like with Formula One drivers having to deal with all the buttons on the steering wheel during a race, uh, it's uh, there's a number of buttons to deal with under other times of under pressure. But um, I did not think we'd be speaking about toilets uh, just just before the race got underway. But um, Yuki is disgusting a act, and it's unfortunate oh, that we had that on our airline. <laughs> oh yeah, well I I saw that and I was just I said I have to play that and Yuki. He is such a character. You never know what he's going to say, and that is typifies it. Hey, I want to say hi to everybody. I've got several people coming in on social media saying they're watching from uh, Lima, Ohio, Charlotte, North Carolina, Auburn, Indiana, Seattle, Washington, 
uh, Thailand even. Wow, that's TW. He's always with us. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, but, guys, I think we want to talk about the fact that we could have the championship, the Drivers' Championship won this weekend because we all know that Max Verstappen has been sitting on uh, near championship winning points coming into this. And uh, I don't know which one of you. Bob, you've been on the air for eight and a half hours. Maybe you, Chris, can talk about the permutations. All I know is if Max wins and gets the fastest lap, then he's he's got the championship. But what other permutations, Chris? Yeah, that's the easy part, which we didn't have in Singapore. You know, certain things had to go his way to even open up the chance of him winning it last weekend. This weekend is kind of within his own hands. And the fact that he's starting from pole puts it even more so in his own hands. So as you say, maximum points and he wins the title, whatever Leclerc or Perez does. Uh, if he just wins the race, then Perez is out of the reckoning straight away. Uh, but if Leclerc finishes second, we'll roll on to Austin. If Leclerc is third or lower with Max winning, Max wins the title. And then, then it gets kind of complex. So with Max second, uh, he needs Leclerc to finish fifth or lower without setting the fastest lap. And Perez fourth or lower without setting the fastest lap. If Max is second but scores the fastest lap himself, then he just needs either of those drivers or Leclerc to finish fifth or lower, Perez fourth or lower. Uh, if he drops to third, then he needs uh, Leclerc seventh or lower and Perez sixth or lower. You're probably getting the picture that essentially right. Perez needs to finish one position above Leclerc in each of these. Yeah. Uh, third place with the fastest lap for Verstappen, then he needs Leclerc sixth or lower and Perez fifth or lower. Uh, essentially, then from fourth, it's eighth for Leclerc or lower. We'll give Max the championship. Uh, fifth, it's ninth or lower. Uh, and sixth for Max, uh, he needs Leclerc out of the points and uh, Checo not setting the fastest lap and only scoring two points. So realistically, top six has to be the minimum for Max. If he's not in the top six, he doesn't win the title. Uh, and if he's sixth, fifth or fourth, he, he needs a bad race for Leclerc or Perez. So a podium finish is where it gets it gets tasty. It's That's when you might get Leclerc or Perez scoring some decent points, but still not enough to uh, deny him the title. I can't believe you remember all that. <laughs> I know it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> if if he wins and gets the point, he, he clinches the title no matter what anybody else does. But if either Leclerc or Perez finish ahead of him, he's not clinching here. And we all start talking about Circuit of the Americas in Austin. Absolutely. That's the that's the good bit that yeah, especially with, with the way the weather is. I know we haven't mentioned it yet, but um I'm still doing my favorite pastime of if I can't stand outside and check the weather, I sit and look at the FIA radar and check the weather and it's raining. Uh, so there's a chance that this is um, a mixed up race. And that, and that does mean there's jeopardy there for Max that maybe he wouldn't have wanted starting from pole. And with that, then, yeah, there's every chance to, you know, if, if Leclerc just beats him off the line and Max has to be a bit careful and comes home right behind him, still solid points, but it will mean that we're more likely to see a champion crowned in Austin. And it is something Max himself has said this weekend is that he's not really worrying about it because even though here's a better chance than last week, he says, if I don't do it here this weekend, I've got an even better chance of doing it next time out. You know, the, his right. gap is so big. It's not as if it gets more and more pressurized. It's actually that it just gets easier and easier and easier. Uh, everyone yeah. else needs to be perfect to deny him in this. Yeah. Right. Thought... He, could, he could fall out or no score in four straight races and still be the championship leader. So, yeah, it's not a matter of if, but when. Yeah, I thought about Max when he in qualifying. He it's super rare for him to not have his final lap be his fastest lap. And I thought, you know, he's probably just it. It's hard to say that he's not on a knife edge of 
concentration and com- and competitiveness because you have to be in that sport. But I just wonder if he's maybe not quite there because he does have the championship wrapped up and it really, you know, it it is purely inevitable. It's just a matter of time. So, but I am excited that it could happen in Austin. We've had a few of those already here. So if it, I mean, it's great to have it happen in a place like Suzuka, but if it does not, I'll be happy to have it here in my hometown. Uh, I had somebody comment and something that I was going to bring up. Joe of Oyster Bay says, I guess is getting us ready for Las Vegas uh, next year time-wise. He says it's pretty close. Actually, Joe, you're wrong. It's exactly the same time because the race will start at 10 p.m. Vegas time, which is 1 a.m. Eastern, which is exactly what we've got today. So uh, this is interesting that we, uh, we've got – but producer shaking his head going, don't talk about a year and a half from now, <laughs> but uh, uh, being up in the middle of the night, but, uh, but that is a, a good take, but, uh, but guys, let's talk about qualifying a little bit because Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen, how close were they, Chris? It was 0.01 of a second. So one hundredth of a second between the two right. of them, which I think was worked out by the official formula one, Twitter account as 0.47 Yuki Sonodas. Uh, that's how they're that's how they're judging it. So less than half a Yuki between them uh, in length, but uh, yeah, remarkably close. And as you say, with Max, he made a slight mistake at turn two. Actually, damaged the car a little bit. I was just going to flick through some of the documents that I've got here to see if he had to replace part of his car, um, which it was. Yeah, the left hand side rear brake drum uh, has been replaced. So no penalty for that. Uh, teams are allowed to replace things that get a little bit damaged or uh, something seems to be wrong with them uh, over overnight in Park Ferme. And, and something flew off his car um, as he went a little bit wide at turn two. And that just cost him a couple of tenths that would have been the improvement because he finished his lap, I think, himself within about um, two hundredths of his previous best time. Um, but yeah, the two Ferrari drivers both got it within a tenth of a second of him, but did, couldn't quite pip into pole. It was... Uh, it was remarkable, but the order it went in with Max having already set that really impressive benchmark and the other two falling just short meant you knew uh, before he'd even completed his final run that he had pole. Really incredible, isn't it? I mean, the, the, those times are just stunning. I know that this is Formula One and this is what we want, but it's still crazy. I was just checking the weather. I was trying to see if there was any updates and I, I saw a tweet from Haas five minutes ago and it it's definitely very overcast, and it there was some rain dripping off of the hospitality, but I don't think it's raining at this exact moment. It's still people walking around. Uh, it, it is, it is, it is raining lightly. So I'm I'm lucky okay. enough to have uh, a fixed camera feed from. I I get a lot of access to some extra uh, kind of footage and things um, through. Uh, thanks, thankfully, through the FIA for when I'm normally at races <laughs> and uh, nice. the final corner. I've got a shot down the down the pit straight. The canopies are all up. Uh, to cover the grid slots to keep them dry yeah. and you can just see a little bit of a sheen on the on the racetrack so uh, it's only been light but yeah it's lightly raining and the weather radar is there's rain everywhere um and if, yeah. if, you, if i look at the forecast that they put down 100 percent chance of rain throughout the race at all times so we're getting a wet one wow all right all right well coming up after this we are going to hear from some of the drivers after qualifying and all of their comments about the possibility of wet weather. You're listening to Speed City F1 back after these messages. Hi, this is Max Steppen, and you're listening to Speed City. 
You're listening to Speed City F1 on Sirius XM. All right, welcome back. And we were, when we left, we said we're going to hear from some of the drivers. And I want to start with Max Verstappen because he's on pole and almost not on pole. And we'll talk about that in just a moment because he had a little incident that almost uh, put he and Lando Norris together in Q3. And we'll talk about that. But let's hear from Max Verstappen. Yeah, it was good. I think the whole coffee in the car is working quite well. It's just about, you know, fine-tuning it a little bit. But that first win in Q3 was um, was a good lap at the time. So, uh, yeah, very pleased, of course, to be on pole. Generally, you speak in Red Bull tend to make a step from today into tomorrow. Does that mean that you're feeling pretty excited about the opportunity uh, it's, tomorrow? It's about little details to, of course, make that jump and make sure that you're quick on, on race day. Tomorrow also there are a few more things with um, you know the weather coming into play, so it's a bit unknown what's what's going to happen in general. But it, it's a good start to um, yeah to the to the weekend. Yeah, Max, um, he sounds awfully calm these days, doesn't he, guys? Well, he has good reason to be calm. He is fully in control of this championship right now, so you know what's not to like. Yeah, uh, Chris, what do you think about? what happened between he and Lando when Max was caught off guard, hit the gas and spun the back of the car around. Yeah, it was a a hairy moment. I was kind of, I think that the decision from the stewards in the end was just about right to give him a reprimand because what Norris did was a little bit um, last minute, shall we say it was one thirty hour. So nearly the end of the lap, just approaching the final chicane. Uh, and Norris decided that he wanted to get ahead of Max to start his flying lap at the start of Q3. So neither of them were on a time lap, uh, and they'd been in order. But uh, Norris accelerated through 130R at full speed, uh, came across Max, who was slow preparing his tyres. Uh, and as Max yeah, uh, lit up the rear wheels to heat them, obviously the car snaked left with a stab of oversteer, which you wouldn't really have thought anything of normally. But because a car was suddenly about to fly past on his left, uh, it got very close and Norris took to the grass. Um, and I actually agree that it was unusual for Norris to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bad bit of timing that as Max lit up the rears, that's when Norris was coming by. Um, but I also understood that for Lando's perspective in the car, it looked like uh, Max just turned left to block him. So he had to have a look at it again afterwards to actually realize, OK, that wasn't intentional. But at the same time, yeah, it is down to a driver to always have control of their car and drive it safely. And then the way Max nearly lost control was very nearly the trigger for a huge accident. So I can see why it was investigated and I can see why there was a chance he would have got a maybe a three-place grid penalty for it. But I think that would have been harsh because of kind of the catalyst was Norris thinking, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to sneak mm-hmm. ahead here. Um, he created that issue as well. So uh, in the end, probably just about right. Uh, and it means that Max does get to start this one on pole. But as we were just saying, we've got the grids just opened and uh, yeah, all of the cars are going to the grid on uh, intermediate or wet tires. It's, there's a fair bit of spray. It's properly wet there. Mm. So is there some of uh, both tires now, Chris? That I was a little bit surprising. I figured they'd be all wet. Uh, so it's, it's either inters or wets. Most that I've seen are actually inters so far. Ah, but okay. for some people, they won't want to burn up those inters because that's the tire you're going to want to use for the race uh, as much as possible when it's wet. The, the wet yeah. weather tire itself is just not a great tire. So yeah, Lando Norris has just done a, a practice start on full wets. Um, I've actually got the list of tire compounds available. Uh, and every driver except Mick Schumacher, Esteban Ocon, and the two Red Bulls of Verstappen and Perez have used at least one set of full wet tyres this weekend. Um, they're the only guys with every set brand new um, still available. 
but for Schumacher, that's only two sets. For Ocon, Verstappen, Paris, that's three. The main one is how many new sets of intermediates everyone has. And everyone has at least four, except Kevin Magnussen. He has three with one set of used. And the Mercedes drivers have both used two sets of intermediate tyres already. Ah. So they only have two sets of new available, which could become crucial here because this race Mm -hmm. is looking more than likely to be fully wet and you're going to be using the intermediates the whole way through. Uh, And if they start to go off, if you've only got two new sets, you're at a bit of a disadvantage having to use a used set every now and then. So, um, yeah, that could come into the strategic thinking. Mm, Yeah. Well, speaking of wet tires and rain and everything, a lot of the drivers had talked about the possibility of rain, and Charles Leclerc was one of those. Let's hear from him. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously disappointed um, to be so close from pole. But uh, on the other hand, I think on a track like this, we probably did not expect to be so close to the Red Bull. So this is a, this is a positive. Um, and looking back at the lap, it was a good lap, apart from the last chicane where the rear tires are just have just gone uh, somewhere else uh, and uh, and yeah just struggling with the rears in the last two corners and lost quite a bit of time there but uh, it's uh, it's like this uh, overall I think the performance was a bit more positive than what we expected. Considering you were closer than expected and what you learned this morning in dry conditions what are you feeling about tomorrow's race? The feeling is good um, however the Red Bull is normally doing a step forward from Saturday to Sunday so uh, let's see how it will be tomorrow, but uh, I also expect a very unpredictable race with the uh, weather conditions being on and off with the rain, so it should be an exciting one. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of the drivers felt the same way, that it could add some excitement, just like all of us. Comments on YouTube, Daniel's talking about the cost cap, and, and I definitely want to get into that because we expected to have that on Wednesday and uh, and still don't, so I want to touch on that, but um, but before we do that, I want to, we've got a couple more clips that I want to play because um, we, we talked about how close these times were, right? And how everybody was right on top of each other. But, um, but Carlos Sainz is who I want to go to next. And in fact, let's play that and then we will uh, see what he had to say. Here's Carlos Sainz. I think we are on a, on a great uh, opportunity tomorrow with them. How do you say with the with the weather coming and starting P3 clean side? You know anything can happen. I think we we are in the right position to, to try and target the win. Are we going to be able to do so in the dry against always a quick max in the race? I don't know, but uh, we're in a good position to to attack. Guys, good luck. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, Bob, what do you think about? Huh. I mean, first of all, I I know that that. Um, Every driver's thinking the same thing that this could shake this up completely. But I mean, sure. What are you expecting? It, it, so after- it almost always does. And yeah. I keep looking to my left because I have a TV on here in my hotel room in Indy. And uh, number one, that track is really wet. Big rooster tails just about everywhere. And the other thing that this reminds me about Japan is the fans are incredibly loyal. The grandstands are absolutely <laughs> full, and these people are getting rained on. It's uh, well, not entirely full. There's a few uh, empty seats there, but uh, boy, these folks have stuck it out. And um, and sure, rain you know, could change things up. Having said that, um, you know the cream floats to the top. The guys who are up front are are good rain drivers. Uh, Max Verstappen was a revelation in one of his first couple of years in Formula One for his ability in the wet. Um, but uh, as Chris pointed out, uh, you know, it's 
going to be all about the rain tires that you have. And Pirelli has said that they've seen more tire degradation than they expected this weekend. So if you're short on, uh, on fresh rubber for wet weather conditions, you could face a real problem here if they start turning themselves into slicks on a damp racetrack. Yeah, I think one of the things that's important to say as well, when I said about Mercedes maybe being a bit short on their intermediate tires, was because they've actually struggled to turn their tires on. So while they've been more competitive in the wet than in the dry, and they probably like the fact that it's wet, they're not competitive at the start of a stint. They, they have a few laps where they really struggle. And they spent a bit more time on Friday trying to get around that because it could have come into play and it has come into play today. So this is something that Mercedes have actually prepared specifically for. They had a lot of downforce on the car as well. We saw in qualifying, they were a little bit slow in a straight line. So that's going to bode well again when you need that more downforce in the wet conditions. So this this is the sort of thing where it's not just Carlos that we sat there thinking, oh, this plays into my hands. I think the Mercedes drivers will be rubbing their hands together too. Uh, and, and we'll think this will give them a chance because they managed to find a way of getting those tyres working better on Friday than they have been. And they ended up one and two in FP2, which was wet. But the other guy who's on, on screen right now for me, Fernando Alonso, he was quickest in the wet in FP1. He looked really comfortable and confident in the wet here. Obviously, he's driven here a million times and, and experience around Suzuka is very important. So um, I think we've got there, yeah, a window where you're looking at Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell uh, looking like they'll be uh, very happy with these conditions. All right, speaking of George Russell, let's hear this great clip from him. Really interesting stuff he's got to say. I mean, the car was feeling okay, in all honesty. Uh, not perfect, but not as far off as, as the lap time showed. It was a feeling from within. We're losing a huge amount of lap time down the straights compared to our rivals. Um, that's kind of been the case all season. But I think this is the first circuit that has long straights, which you also have high downforce. You know, normally when you look at the, the circuits with the long straights, it's, you know, Spa, Monza, even Silverstone, where you're running low downforce and, and the high downforce circuits, Monaco, Budapest, Zambor, Singapore, they have you know short straights and you don't you don't really see that deficit uh, in the straight line speed. But yeah, here that weakness has, has truly been exposed. How hard do you think then tomorrow's gonna be, particularly if you're struggling on the straights and trying to keep yeah. people behind? Um, we should have enough pace to not be too worried from behind, but you know, I could be wrong. You know, we're looking forward. We want to be in that fight with Ferrari and Red Bull, but ultimately they're, they're probably five tenths too quick for us this weekend. We need to make sure we finish ahead of Alpine, but it's um, certainly not where we want to be. All right, good luck tomorrow. Thank you. Yeah, fascinating about the downforce, but also just the fact that he's saying they're five tenths in, in every straightaway. Yeah, it's, it's strange. You don't think of straights, do you, in Suzuka so much? Um, but it's there's two big sections, and one's out of the final chicane, getting the power down, then you have uh, a bit of a right-hander and then it's downhill all the way to turn one and turn two. That's a, a decent little stretch and that's where DRS is used. But the big one is out of spoon curve, um, which is kind of the, the far, furthest point of the track from the start-finish straight. Um, and as they accelerate through the second part of that, they're flat out for a good, I think it's about 12, 13 seconds. Um, as they go along a straight, they dip down, so it looks like a bit of a roller coaster, but it's still straight line. And then 130R is now easy flat. So, you know, what was a terrifying left-hander is is much more comfortable for these cars. But again, if you're still flat out through that corner um, and trying not to scrub speed off, that's at top speed. So if you've got a bit too much downforce, that's added drag and that's costing you time through the corner as well. Probably more so than actually in a dead straight line. Uh, so it's not until they hit the brakes for the final chicane that that they then start to gain some time back. So it's, it's a long spell 
um, that they're getting hurt there towards the end of the lap. So it's why we saw a few times, if anyone's watched any session, the lap time looked fairly close through the first two sectors for Mercedes. But it's as they get to the end of the second sector and the final sector that they really seem to drop away. Mm. All right. Well, coming up after this, we're going to get Mr. Varsha to walk us through the starting grid and all the facts and figures that come with that. You're listening to Speed City back after these messages. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. You're listening to Speed City F1 on Sirius XM. The Speed City F1 pre-race show on Sirius XM is brought to you by CrowdStrike. Stop today's most sophisticated cyber attacks at the office, the racetrack, and everywhere in between. Learn more at CrowdStrike.com slash XM. All right, we're less than a half hour from one of the most popular races on the calendar that's back on the calendar, of course, at Suzuka in Japan, and everyone's excited for it, and... Bob Varsha is going to walk us through the starting grid because we've had a change this this morning, evening, night, wherever you are. But we've had a recent change. But, Bob, walk us through it, buddy. All right. Let's get started. And remember, once again, we haven't raced here since 2019. So this track is new to a number of drivers. Yeah. But on row one, Max Verstappen in the Red Bull starts on pole. It's only the championship leader's fifth of the season, but he's looking for his 10th race victory and as we've discussed, he can clinch here with the win and the fast lap bonus point, no matter where anyone else finishes. Next to him, his nearest rival in the title chase, Charles Leclerc for the Ferrari, just one one hundredth of a second off of Verstappen's pole time. And that's the closest margin of the season. Those two share the front row for the eighth time in the 18 races we've seen thus far this year. Only Leclerc and Red Bull's Sergio Perez are mathematically alive for the championship. On to row two, starting P3, Carlos Sainz for Ferrari. He starts third for the seventh time this year. Believe it or not, the front two rows here at Suzuka were filled with uh, Red Bulls and Ferraris for the first time since the British Grand Prix back in July. It seems all we hear about huh. is Red Bull and Ferrari. Next to Sainz is Sergio Perez in the second Red Bull, the Singapore winner with a dominant drive there. The Mexican is back in this game after a, uh, a rough patch, it must be said. Starts P4 at Suzuka for the first time in 10 appearances here. On row three, Esteban Ocon in the Alpine. Great qualifying effort for the Frenchman. That team is in the top five for the second race in a row. But Ocon's best start since Hungary five races ago, where he also started fifth. Sixth, Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes. Officially out of title contention for the first time in forever. Sixth is Sir Seven Times Worst Suzuka Grid Slot since a ninth for McLaren back in 2012. On row four, starting seventh, Fernando Alonso in the Alpine, the new record holder for total Grand Prix career starts, now running out the string with Alpine, has his best Suzuka start since a fifth place grid slot for Ferrari back in 2014. Starting eighth, George Russell for Mercedes. Despite his sterling finishing record this season in the difficult Mercedes race car, he was out-qualified here by teammate Hamilton for the fifth straight race. On row number five, Sebastian Vettel, P9 for Aston Martin, getting choked up here in his final visit to Suzuka. He ties his best start of the season. Well, maybe that's why he was choked up <laughs> on his favorite track, to which he said, Arigato, Suzuka. Thank you, Suzuka. A dozen races in his career in Japan, 
and a top 10 start in every single one, no matter which team he was driving for. Uh, starting 10th next to Vettel is Lando Norris in the first of the McLarens, who's been qualifying all over the map this season. Hmm. Today, he's off his seasonal qualifying average of 8.2. On row six, Daniel Ricciardo for McLaren starts P11. Who's made it official, he will not be on the Formula One grid next season, despite coming off a fifth-place finish last week in Singapore. And he barely missed Q3, just three one-thousandths of a second, or he'd be feeling a lot better about himself, I'm sure. Starting 12th, Valtteri Bottas for Alfa Romeo, the defending race champion. Hasn't been this far back on the grid, however, since his Williams tenure in 2013, when he was 13th here at Suzuka. On row seven, starting 13th, the crowd darling, far and away the most popular and sought-after guy on the grid, Yuki Sonoda in the AlphaTauri. A few weeks ago, we wondered whether the Japanese driver would be back next season. Then he got a contract extension. And with Friday's announcement that his teammate is moving on, Sonoda is the senior driver for the team in 2023. <laughs> starting 14th, Guan Yu in the second Alfa Romeo, the Chinese driver's first visit to Suzuka in Formula One. And he starts 14th on the grid for the third time in four races. Row eight, Mick Schumacher in the Haas. Still without a confirmed drive for 2023, and his Friday crash in free practice after the checkered flag was described by team boss Gunther Steiner as self-inflicted, and that sounds ominous. Hmm. Starting 16th, next to Schumacher, is the Williams of Alex Albon, who missed moving into Q2 by just 56 thousandths of a second as he continues his comeback from appendicitis just a couple of weeks ago. Starting row nine, P-17 was to have been Pierre Gasly in the second Alfa Torre, newly announced headed for Alpine to fill Alonso's seat in 2023, but eliminating Q1 for the sixth time this season, so he's had a rash of component changes, and he will start from the pit lane. In his place in P-17, Kevin Magnussen in the second Haas, who loves this racetrack, as many of the drivers do, but Magnuson hasn't made it to Q3 here since his rookie season with McLaren in 2014. On row 10, or excuse me, in uh, the 18th spot, Lance Stroll for Aston Martin. Teammate Vettel made it to Q3, but Aston loses a car in Q1 for the 15th time in the 18 races thus far this year. And starting 19th, alone on row 10, Nick Latifi of the Williams, stone last in the field for the fifth time in the last seven races, punctuated or maybe highlighted by an error in free practice one in his first visit to the track when he took a wrong turn and almost turned onto the abbreviated short course oh. at Suzuka. No word yet on who will replace the Canadian next season. And there you have it. Okay, the one that stood out to me, I'm sorry, but it was Sebastian Vettel, and he's been so emotional. I see you shaking your head too, Chris. We have a really nice clip from Sebastian. Let's hear from him. Yeah, I love this track so much, so uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, tomorrow is uh, obviously uh, the main discipline waiting for us with the race, but it will feel very different because quality is really when, yeah, you feel most alive around here, so... Um, bit sad as well but uh, very happy with the day. A bit sad because this might be the last chance you get to drive a lap around here in quality trim. Yeah exactly yeah. but um, yeah it's a special place to me and um, 
Uh, it, uh, you know, I had so many nice moments here, and another one today that I really enjoyed. So, uh, um, what what do you think is possible from what you learned this morning to Murray? Well, if we can stay where we are, that would be a very strong showing. I think you know we um, struggled in Q1 to get through, and then managed to, with an incredible lap, to get to Q3. Improved at lap time again in Q3, so I think we can't ask for for much more. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear him kind of already retrospective about this because this is such a, a, a special place for him. You could feel it and for his, for so many of the drivers. But, well, guys, I want to talk. Think, yeah, go ahead, Bob. Go ahead. Well, well, I was just about to say, Sebastian gave you a beautiful um, example of why race drivers do what they do. He said, you feel most alive around this racetrack. And I think that that uh, that speaks to all of the drivers. And uh, in fact, Sebastian even said he would consider a one-off, one-race return to Formula One if he <laughs> gets to drive Suzuka. Yeah, and he was serious as well. He did get pushed on that in the press conference. It was like, is that a joke or are you serious? He's like, uh, uh, deadly serious. If one of these guys next to me will jump out of the car for a one-race, then I am back in. <laughs> yeah, and you heard him on the car, the team radio during qualifying. You know, he, you could hear that emotion in his voice then too. So really something special and we're getting close to the the end of his career now guys and so i think it's appropriate for him to be reacting this way but all right so we're about 20 minutes from the start of the race and one thing i definitely wanted to uh to touch on is um let's do this let's talk about the cost cap now there's been some discussion chatter on on youtube and stuff and i don't want to go too crazy into this but we were expecting an answer on wednesday there's been all the rumors about red bull but I um, and now that the we're going to get the answer supposedly on Monday, right, Chris? Is that is that the uh, the new date? Yes. So uh, I've had word today. Um, I don't know if it's one hundred percent confirmed that it will be um, Monday morning, sort of UK time. So basically, almost like uh, midnight for anyone on the West Coast uh, on Sunday night that uh, we'll get the list of who has been given a certificate and that says that they do comply with the financial regulations um, in twenty twenty one. And who hasn't, basically. Uh, it doesn't tell you who'll get punished or what the punishment will be. Uh, it just says who's been given a certificate. Because from that point on, if anyone's broken the cost cap regulations, then uh, they can either enter into an agreement with the FIA. If it's within a certain window and it's not a huge breach, they can enter into an agreement that will be published uh, so that we know for transparency reasons. <laughs> Unlike Ferrari's been agreed. engine deal last <laughs> year, a couple of years ago. Yeah, exactly. And the irony that Ferrari were... <clears throat> saying about how transparent if I need to be is uh, not lost on some people. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, the flip side is if it's a, a material breach or a bigger breach, or the team just doesn't agree with what they've been asked to agree to by the FIA, then they can take it to the cost cap adjudication board, um, which will be a separate body. And that will take weeks or months to kind of convene, look at it and decide on what the punishment should be. So what we will know <laughs> is if anyone needs punishing tomorrow, basically, which um, is the bit that's been unclear. So all of this talk around teams up to now has been that, um, you know, Red Bull and Aston Martin are over in some way, shape or form. Whether that's actually the way yeah. the FIA are, are deeming it uh, will get confirmed tomorrow. Yeah. And then of Just course, what Formula One needs is another <laughs> blue ribbon panel to adjudicate this, that and the other thing. Uh, absolutely yeah i think the main point there will be uh, i think everyone would like to see that move quickly i understand that it has to go to a, a separate panel it's it's kind of a smart move because it's um just just being uh, impartial look yeah, at the impartial. facts of the numbers and and not more detail but uh 
in that case, you, you hope that they will adjudicate on that very quickly rather than drag it out towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And the quote that everyone has been loving to throw around uh, on the internet and everywhere else is just saying that they're quoting Ross Braun back from December of, uh, I guess, last year, where he's saying, if you fraudulently breach the financial regulations, you'll be losing your championship. And of course, you know, because of Red Bull being at the heart of the rumors and that being thrown around. But, you know, I, I, Chris, I'm just looking at body language of, everybody on Red Bull and, and uh, I, I don't, I don't anticipate that. And I know that's just, I'm purely speculating. I'm basing that on body language. I know that's kind of crazy, but uh, would you agree that do you think that it's probably not going to be anything that crazy? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, from the figures that have been um, circulating that in, even a worst case scenario, uh, it was maybe just creeping over into material breach. Uh, window but most likely actually in the minor breach window which is when they can agree um, with the FIA without it even going to the adjudication panel uh, what the punishment will be and how they'll handle it and then speaking to different team members I spoke to uh, one of the team bosses in Singapore who who said it won't help to go back retrospectively and try and punish someone because the big thing about overspending will be the gains moving forward um, and we need to kind of close the book on the past anyway and I don't think it helps people to reopen it um, and and not have a clear answer on that front what they need to do is financially penalize them moving forward so they don't get to reap the rewards too much of whatever they've overspent but also then take away things like wind tunnel time testing time and sporting penalties moving forward so they can't capitalize in that way either so um it didn't seem like anyone said yeah turn around and just take the championship away from them because what good is taking away one title if they win the next three or four because they spent too much money Hmm. um you need to make sure they don't get that benefit so uh, yeah i think it's going to be more forward-looking penalty if there is one for anyone yeah i will say this i think the fi has put themselves in a really tenuous spot uh no matter what they decide somebody's going to be ticked off yep yep no doubt because this has come out yeah uh because Uh we've talked about it so much uh red bull will be very angry if uh they've gone through all this and they're they're cleared completely and people are still saying you know they found a way around rules or whatever we've had no proof of what's happened in that sense so yeah the the uncertainty that's already been created and then the delay that really didn't help from wednesday when Mm -hmm. everyone thought they were going to get closure uh, has just put more and more pressure on the FIA. So uh, a bit unnecessary on that front. They set their own deadlines. They should have hit them, and we'd, we'd be able to talk about something more concrete by now in that case. All right. Well, coming up after this, we are going to be within about 10 minutes of the start of the Formula One Japanese Grand Prix. You listen to the Speed City back after these messages. Hello to everyone. This is Gunther Steiner. This is Speed City. You're listening to Speed City F1 on Sirius XM. CrowdStrike presents Driven in 60. Our digital world is more than just interconnected. It's interdependent. And because of that, security is a top concern for every organization. The Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula One team knows they're a potential target for a host of digital attacks, which is why they leverage the CrowdStrike Falcon platform to deploy end-to-end security solutions. CrowdStrike revolutionized cybersecurity by harnessing the speed and power of the cloud to identify and stop the most sophisticated cyber attacks. Our cloud-native Falcon platform protects and defends organizations against increasingly complex threats, so you can have the peace of mind to focus on your business momentum, not what's trying to stop it. That's protection that powers you. 
To learn more and to try a CrowdStrike Falcon free today, visit CrowdStrike.com slash XM. All right, gentlemen, I'm looking at the television and I'm seeing some umbrellas, but not everyone has an umbrella. Kravitz is walking around without one. Chris, what are you seeing on your uh, your uh, special insider feed over there? Um, it's gorgeous sunshine. No, it's not <laughs> different. Um, so, yeah, similar to you guys, actually. I've been looking at the radar as well, and it's just there's just rain everywhere, but it's not all that heavy. So there's there's bursts that will be strong. Uh, right now, I think it's actually increased slightly. Um, so the FIA kind of do it by class of intensity, and it's gone from class one to class two. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not hammering by any stretch like we had in Singapore. Uh, the main thing I've been keeping an eye on is the race control messages we get from the FIA, because that's where they'll tell us if they're going to do anything differently around the start of the race. Now we're nine minutes out from the formation at that beginning, and we've had no no change, no no message to say anything's going to be different. Uh, the one thing they did announce about an hour ago was uh, a clarification about the rules to do with a rolling start in terms of how uh, the wording of one of the uh, articles in the rules says, um, I think it says you must do something, and they said they're going to read it as you should do something. Uh, I think that's to do with staying within car lengths of um, the safety car, a bit like what went wrong with Perez in Singapore. But just if they have a rolling start that they're not going to be massively harsh on how close behind a safety car a driver is because of wet weather. Um, so that showed they were kind of preempting a potential rolling start. This is a downhill grid, so drivers have to be on the brake until the lights go out and stop themselves rolling forwards. And you get a few rivers sometimes. But because it's downhill, the circuit is laid out with, you know, um, their big chunks cut out the asphalt to let the water run off it across the circuit to stop it uh, causing aquaplaning. So I think we're actually quite well set up to have a normal standing wet start here. Um, which is what I think everyone wants to see. And, and if we don't get that, then it will really play in a Max Verstappen's hands because he'll get to um, control the restart uh, as a rolling start and nobody can overtake him. Um, so I think we all want to see a, a grid start and these guys have to go for it. And yeah, so far, that's what the FIA are, are working towards. Okay, well, I guess all of that means that we're probably going to get a normal start and we'll see what happens with all of this moisture on the track because I know all of us are salivating pun intended, about the possibilities of what could happen with a little loss of traction. So uh, one thing, one topic that we're going to talk about in the post-race show is uh, Gasly to Alpine and DeVries, up those boys swapping and and potentially where, you know, <laughs> Bob and I were talking before you even got on, Chris, before we went on air about Daniel Ricciardo, and I, I, I don't really understand his strategy. Maybe you'll have some insights on that. We'll talk about all of that in the post-race show. But one thing I definitely want to cover right now is Honda uh, back on the Red Bull and AlphaTauri liveries for this home race in Japan. And I think that's great. I think it's appropriate. But Chris, Bob and I, we were just talking about Honda, and it just seems so weird that they were, you know, after the struggles they had for many years, finally got it right, and then they decided, you know, Let's get out of Formula One while we're ahead. And now, with the, I guess, with the success they're having and the increased popularity of Formula One, they're back in. It's crazy, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. I've done work for Honda. I used to uh, do some freelance editorial work for them, so producing videos and written content um, with interviews with drivers and things. And they made the call to leave before they were fighting for championships. It was the end of 2020 um, that they were like, okay, at the end of 2021, we're pulling out. So they put everything into 2021 to try and finish on a high. And originally, they were going to just not really invest too much in the 21 engine. And they managed to convince 
the Honda boards that no, if we're going to leave, let's let's do it right before we go and, and leave a decent legacy. But they did it so well that then they pulled out the under 21 having won a title. They're essentially dominating this year, but without their name on the car. And they're not getting the value out of the what they put into it. So they've had these talks with Red Bull and, and once the Porsche deal fell through, there was scope there for them to um, kind of have a slightly bigger presence. I think we definitely do need the post-race show to go into the details of things like the cost cap means with Red Bull setting up their power unit uh, set like kind of own company um, off the back of this. They, they're able to redirect resources that they couldn't before um, that maybe has helped them in that sense because Mercedes and Ferrari can do that as they have their own power unit uh, entities. So there's a lot of kind of business complexity around it as well. Um, but at the moment, all that's changed is the Honda name goes on the back of the cars again. It's advertising. Um, what it kind of allows us to talk about is Honda have still been fully investing, building the engines, supplying support to Red Bull. It's still essentially a Honda in the back and they've been putting a lot into it. So it could, you know, it'll roll on to at least 2025 that they'll be involved. And it could well mean that then they've got an easy and quick re-entry in 2026 if they want to come back in in full. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll use all the time post-race to really go into the, the potential details around that. I do want to do that because, I mean, it's just interesting to think about, you know, the Red Bull powertrain and what happened with all that, that, uh, that IP and did they sell it? And I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but, but I do want to talk about some of the possibilities today, you know, about some of the drivers, like, you know, we had, we talked about Mick Schumacher earlier, how he had the big crash, but then he followed that up with a really nice qualifying. Um, Kevin Magnuson, after his qualifying said, I don't know what happened. He said, he said, I felt great in the car and everything. And he couldn't explain why he was so slow, but, um, but both you guys, Bob, what do you uh, what what stories are you thinking about today? And and uh, and you know we've like for example Fernando Alonso's looking good, always looks good in the rain, but stuff like that. Well, I think without question the big story is whether Max can clinch the championship here. Having said that, a wet race always throws up a lot of questions. Who is the sharpest in the wet? And certainly Alonso is one of those guys you look at in these situations. As I recall, in Canada, where it was damp, he had a great qualifying. Now, whether he's going to have a great race or not, especially coming off the back of uh, Singapore, um, it's hard to say. But uh, I'm just going to let it let the race come to me, as the as the drivers often say. Um, I'm not really thinking about anything in particular going forward. Chris, what about you? Anybody that you're wanting to? Uh... To see you have a good race, I was thinking about Yuki Tsunoda home race. Yeah, I think two names you just mentioned, actually. Um, one being Daniel Ricciardo. You mentioned, you know, he got that good fifth place in Singapore. He, he, was, he said that was a very mature race. He said that was a 33-year-old's race where he didn't jump too early to pit to try and get on the slick tyre. And, and the race did come to him, a bit like Bob was just saying. Um, and he is only starting one place behind Lando Norris. Uh, and the timing of him saying, this is how I'm going to go about it. Um, you know, I'm not going to be on the grid next year could come quite well because if he keeps you know if that was a sign of a strong finish to the season then more teams are going to be going well he's available he's certainly available for 23 but he's available for 24 as well so uh yeah if he has a strong one here that could really actually help his stock start to recover um and Mick Schumacher because of in the wet crashing in FP1 because of the pressure on him but uh the fact that he did out qualify Kevin he's in a, a slightly stronger position it's the Jekyll and Hyde bit that mm. is making it so hard for Haas to make a decision so we'll see which one of those we get but 
Uh, just before we get going, I've got the, the tires coming in, and uh, I haven't had the ah. Alpine uh, tires through, but everyone's on intermediate tires, uh, and yes. I imagine the Alpine pair are as well. I'd be surprised if they're on full wets. So I think everyone on enters for the start. Well, I think that just backs up what we're just saying about the rain. So, all right, we got about a minute and a half left. Let's do a quick. There's so only the three of us today, so we can be quick on our predictions. And you know what? I'll start with my own because I don't want to have a, an advantage. I, I'm going to say Max Verstappen uh, wins the race but does not win the championship. And I would think on the podium will be um, Sainz and Perez. And I have no nothing other than just randomness to come, to back that up. I'm just working out. I think you've said Max doesn't win the title, but then created a oh. position where he would win the title. So. <laughs> See, I, math is hard when it's it's midnight here. It's it's hard, Chris. Yeah, a Aging win, Doctor Freud. <laughs> <laughs> so you need the clerk second in that case. So I'm I'm gonna take that actually and run with it. It's I'm gonna go with Max to win, the clerk second, Alonso third. <laughs> All right, Bob Varsha. I'm going to go with Max to win. Um, I'll take Carlos Sainz for third. I don't think Sergio Perez is going to be allowed by the team to get anywhere near uh, <laughs> Max Verstappen, and I think that'll affect his race. So I'll say Verstappen, Sainz, and um, Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Stay tuned for the race. And of course, join us after the race for our post show. Thanks for tuning in.